Press, you could turn over to the book of Nehemiah and to the uh, sixth chapter of the book of Nehemiah for our scripture reading again. Uh, Nehemiah chapter 6, and beginning our reading at the first verse of the chapter. Book of Nehemiah chapter 6, and beginning our reading at verse 1. Now it came to pass when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arabian and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built at the wall and that there was no breach left therein, though at that time I had not set up the doors upon the gates, that Sanballat and Geshem sent unto me, saying, Come, let us meet together in some one of the villages in the plain of Ono. But they thought to do me mischief. And I sent messengers unto them, saying, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease whilst I leave it and come down to you? Yet they sent unto me four times after this sort. And I answered them after the same manner. Then sent Sanballat his servant unto me in like manner the fifth time with an open letter in his hand, wherein was written, It is reported among the heathen, and Gashmu saith it, that one of the uh, uh, that thou and the Jews think to rebel, for which cause thou buildest the wall, that thou mayest be their king, according to these words. And thou hast also appointed prophets to preach of thee at Jerusalem, saying, There is a king in Judah, and now shall it be reported to the king, according to these words. Come now therefore, and let us take counsel together. And I sent on them, saying, There are no such things done as thou sayest, but thou feignest them out of thine own heart. For they all made us afraid, saying, Their hand shall be weakened from the work, that it be not done. Now therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. Afterward I came unto the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, the son of Mehetabiel, who was shut up, and he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple, and let us shut the doors of the temple, for they will come to slay thee. Yea, in the night will they come to slay thee. And I said, Should such a man as I flee, and who is there that being as I am would go into the temple to save his life? I go not, I will not go in. And lo, I perceived that God had not sent him, but that he pronounced this prophecy against me, for Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. Therefore was he hired that I should be afraid and do so with sin, and that they might have matter for an evil report that they might reproach me. My God, think thou upon Tobiah and Sanballat according to these their works and on the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets that would have put me in fear. Amen. We know the Lord will add his blessing to the reading of his precious word to our hearts for his name's sake. Can we unite at the throne of grace, please? Our loving God and our gracious Father, we thank thee for thy word today. We think of uh, Nehemiah in his day, and he was attacked, and he was ridiculed and mocked, 
And yet, Lord, he was able to stand firm, and we pray that we might be steadfast in our day and generation. Give us that staunchness that marked our forefathers, and we pray that we might be willing to uh, go as far as uh, we possibly can to seek to uplift and glorify the name of our Savior. Be with us as we wait upon thee, for it's in Jesus' precious name that we ask these things. Amen. Amen. Christian evangelist uh, Joe Kirby was boldly preaching the gospel on one of the streets in Preston in England um, earlier this year. And as he was preaching, an atheist lady came up and confronted him, began to debate with him about the uh, things that he was saying and he was debating with her. And as they were do doing that, they began to draw a crowd. People came round and began to mock the preacher. And there were two young men there who obviously had no time for the gospel of the things of God. The preacher was uh, standing on a cool box. That was his pulpit. And these two young lads, in order to mock the gospel, kicked the cool box from under the evangelist, uh, sending him to the ground, and almost uh, uh, really caused him to uh, land on the ground. And these young fellows thought that this kind of behavior and mockery of the gospel and the pre Christian preacher was acceptable. And the thing is that that kind of thought is getting more and more prevalent in this day in which we live. One American writer offered the opinion, and I quote, he said, mocking Christianity is the latest American sport. And he went on. He said, everywhere one looks, there are articles espousing the evils of faith, laughing at the irrationality of faith, and belittling Christian thought. Many have come to consider Christianity and Christians as stupid. They say, well, uh, I remember debating with an atheist, and he obviously thought um, this man was boasting about the degrees that he had and about the qualifications, and it became obvious that he thought that he was uh, debating somebody that couldn't have a degree. After all, I'm a Christian minister. How would I know anything? And uh, we went on in the debate, and uh, eventually he resorted to uh, personal attack. And then, in the end, he had to give up his debate. He, uh, he said he had to concede the argument at the end of the day. But this is the thought about many, this young fella, or I don't know whether he was a young fella, it was over the internet, but he just thought because he was debating with a Christian minister that he could not, that could not have any learning. This was just the thought that was in his mind. Jerry Coyne, writing on his Why Evolution website, said this, an atheist he is, he says, I don't think one can be really smart and religious at the same time. And atheists tell us that we are stupid, and because we are stupid, they tell us that we make war. And they, this is confusing, of course, because the Lord Jesus said that we are to love our neighbor 
and we were to love the Lord. And that religious faith that we have leads us to turn the other cheek. And yet the uh, atheists out there say that we are responsible for war. Um, We think of Susan Blackmore in her book, The Mem Machine, published by Oxford University Press. And she said, and I quote, the history of warfare is largely a history of people killing each other for religious reasons. Dr. Sam Harris, a militant atheist, believes that he can eradicate religion. He believes that we should get rid of religion, and I quote, religious faith remains a perpetual source of human conflict. And he particularly wants to get rid of the uh, uh, Jewish religion, the Christian religion, and Islam. He says that these are the most uh, warlike of the religions. But we think of how the Lord Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. And there are many Christians who have not followed what the Lord Jesus has said, but where they have, it has been the means of faith, or it has been the means of peace in our world in which we live. And of course, the militant atheists could not in any way um, uh, accept that Paul Pot or Stalin or Nazi Tung ever caused any wars in this, because they are not stupid. They, they, are, they, they aren't stupid like us religious people. It could not be that they have caused any war. And when you think of the saber-rattling of communist China over um, Taiwan at the present time, of course that must be a figment of everybody's imagination because the atheists do not uh, cause war. Richard Dawkins, he says he needs to deal with us stupid people because he says, I do everything in my power to warn people against faith itself. And we think of what's happening even at this present time. We think of the article last Saturday's newsletter in which the Crown Prosecution Service uh, in a case against a, a preacher, street preacher, John Dunn, And they wrote in their argument in order to prosecute this man that there were parts of the Bible that was no longer appropriate to um, quote in in public or it could be offensive if it was quoted in public. And they quoted the parts of the Bible that um, advocate the death penalty. Well, there are many people that still believe in the death penalty and there should be freedom of religion. There should be freedom of speech. They say that the Bible advocates slavery. Well, the Hebrew word for slave, uh, for selling into slavery, is a word that can mean just that some transaction has taken place without money. Selling a daughter, sometimes it was a dowry. That's what it meant. So you have to be extremely careful. And what is slavery in the Bible is like night and day from what they mean by slavery, which is the people were sold like chattels. And then they said that the Bible advocates cannibalism. Of course, stupid people like you and me who have read the Bible probably have missed that. 
We didn't see it somehow because we're stupid. And we didn't see where the Bible advocates cannibalism. It might be because the Bible doesn't advocate cannibalism. But these uh, clever people, these atheists uh, that are in the world, they um, will say, well, the Bible advocates cannibalism, and they can state that in a legal opinion. And we see that, uh, that attack that is taking place in this day and generation. Just to take one more example, BBC journalist David Campanell, uh, he was um, applying or he was accepted as the Liberal Democrat uh, candidate in the next uh, general election for Sutton and Cheam in England. But when they found out that he was a Christian, and when they found out that in a free vote he would uh, vote against abortion, they went absolutely mad. And they, eventually he was deselected because he was a Christian. Now, you know that I could go on and uh, tell you instance after instance of where God's people are being attacked or where, where they're being mocked or where we are being taken for granted in this day in which we live. Somebody said this, and I quote, he said, not to generalize, since most uh, all of my close friends are not Christian, but it is really hard to deal with being religious and having people constantly tell you that your beliefs are stupid and that you're wrong. And that's what I want to deal with today in this meeting, the struggle with the traducers and the truth deniers and the troublers, those who mock at Christianity, those who tell us that we're stupid, those that tell us that we should not be in any way taken seriously in this day in which we live. And for that reason, I've read this portion of Scripture because here is Nehemiah, and he is facing those who come against him in different ways, who attack him in different ways. And we will see here that Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arabian come against Nehemiah in all sorts of ways to undermine him, to mock him, to slander him, to do all that they can to bring his work to nothing. And as we look at what Nehemiah does in this portion of Scripture, we begin to learn how we should react to this kind of struggle that we have in this day in which we live. So what we want to do today is just to look at the way that Nehemiah deals with the traducers and the truth deniers and the troublers that he is dealing with in his day. Now, first of all, then, I want you to look at the enemy's schemes as we look at Nehemiah chapter 6. And I want you to look at verses 1 to 3. And it says, Now it came to pass when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arabian and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and there was no breach left therein, though at that time I had not set up the doors upon the gates, that Sanballat and Geshem sent unto me, saying, Come, let us meet together in some one of the villages in the plain of Ono. But they thought to do me mischief. And I sent messengers unto them, saying, I am doing a great work, so that I cannot come down 
Why should the work cease whilst I leave it and come down to you? So Tobiah and uh, Sanballat and so on uh, said to him and said, Here, come and let's make peace. Let's have a little conference together. Let's all meet together and we are going to seek peace and we're going to have a time of peacefulness. And of course, maybe in many ways that would have been practical and wise for him to seek peace. In fact, if you read later in the chapter, you'll find that the Jewish nobles were putting pressure on Nehemiah to seek peace with these people. It might have been a good political move uh, to listen to the pleads of the enemy. But Nehemiah discerns that there's something behind this. He discerns that they want to do mischief. They want to hurt him. And they want to hurt the work of God. And he says, I'm doing a great work and I can't come down to you. Look at verse 3. I sent messengers unto them saying, I'm doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work of God cease whilst I leave it and come down to you? And what the enemies wanted him to do was to come and seek peace. And they would gather themselves together. People are warning the Ukrainians at the present time against the same kind of tactics. People are saying Putin will try and get a peace conference so that he can get himself together and get his act together, as it were, in order to build up his forces. And they're warning the, the Ukrainians against the same uh, kind of tactic. But here was a scheme, and it was a scheme built on lies. And the uh, men here were saying we're going to have peace together, but it was all lies. We have a society that's built upon lies. There's lies about what is beautiful. There's lies about what makes you successful. Lies about creation. Lies about the veracity and authority of the word of God that's attacked by the world today. We have lies about morality. What is right and what is wrong. And the Bible speaks about the God of this world, that Satan, the evil one, is the prince of this world. Why does he lie? He lies in order to undermine the work of God. He lies in order to undermine the gospel. He lies in order to, uh, in some way, uh, hinder what God wants to be done in this world. And the political elites and the academia and all who have a vested authority in things as they are, are involved in the lies that are being uh, told. Maybe even our loved ones can be involved in the lies. And our families sometimes, even churches or friends, can be involved in the lies that are taking place. And the people around us who are attacking us, they have been lied to, and they have swallowed the lies. And like Nehemiah, what we need to do is to be able to identify the lies. We need to be able to identify what is taking place. And Nehemiah is a man of discernment. And what is needed in this day especially is that spiritual discernment. Why did Nehemiah have discernment? Well, he had discernment because he was a man of the book. He was a man of God's word. We're told in Hebrews 5, verses 13 and 14, For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe, but strong meat belongeth to them that are of a full age, even those who by reason of use 
have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. And we need in this day a, a good knowledge of the Word of God. We need to have a knowledge of what is right and what is wrong so that we are able to combat the lies that are being told in this day. We need to be able to see what are Satan, Satan's lies. Many even of God's people have swallowed the lie. Even in the churches, particularly in America, even amongst those who profess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, there are those who are even accepting abortion now, who are preaching that abortion is okay. But the Bible says, stand therefore. Like Nehemiah says, I can't come down. I'm doing a good work. I need to stand. The Bible says, stand therefore. And he says in the book of Ephesians, we need to have on the belt of truth, having your loins girt about with truth. And in those days, the belt would, as it were, tie the armor together. And it brings everything together when we have the truth of God's precious word. Not only do we need discernment in looking at the word of God, but we need to know man. We need to see what the Bible says about man. We know that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. We read about the Lord Jesus at one point, how many came and they were uh, drawing around him. But it says that Jesus did not commit himself unto them because he knew all men. He knew their hearts. He knew that sometimes it's in the nature of man just to think or seek good for himself and to try, try and feather his own bed rather than seeking for the good of others and seeking for the glory of God. And you know, sometimes we need that discernment that comes as we have the Holy Spirit and we walk by the Spirit in accordance with the precious Word of God. But we need discernment. We certainly need discernment in this day. And then we need determination, like Nehemiah, to say no. Say no to the world. Say no to their intrigues. If we are not willing to suffer for righteousness' sake, we will not stand in, uh, in extreme persecution. There's no way that we will do it. If we can't stand today, if we can't say no today, then when the pressure really comes on, we're certainly not going to say no. Nehemiah was like what Paul said to Timothy, that he endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. But I want you to see the enemy's schemes. He comes with lies. Uh, and they're subtle lies. It's all speaking about peace and goodwill and everything. They're subtle lies. But they're lies nonetheless. But then I want you to see the enemy's second tactic. Not only have we the enemy's scheme, but we have the enemy's stubbornness. Look at verses 3 and 4. He says, And I sent messengers unto them, saying, I'm doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the worst work cease whilst I leave it and come down to you? But look at the next part. Yet they sent unto me four times after this sword, and I answered them after the same manner. You'll notice that the enemy didn't give up. He didn't take no for an answer. You'll know that the campaign against morality that it didn't succeed first. 
You think of the um, LGBT. You think of sexual morality. And all of these things, a lot of the things that are being foisted upon us today were not accepted in polite society even a couple of decades ago or maybe even less. Uh, They would have been laughed out of court. People would have uh, thought it absolutely ridiculous and dangerous to accept the things that are being accepted today. And yet they, uh, they didn't give up. They kept on pushing the agenda and trying to get it in amongst the elites of society and the movers and shakers, we call them that. And they kept on trying and trying. And that's the tactic of the enemy. He doesn't give up. But you notice that Nehemiah sent the same answer every time. He said, even though they came four times, he said, I answered them after the same sort. He said he didn't change his mind, didn't change his direction, didn't change the answer that he gave him, even though he was coming under pressure. And of course, there's the pressure of constantly having to deal with this. He says, no, no, no. On the plane of, oh no, I am going to say no. And it's the same with us. No matter what the pressure, and no matter how many times, and how society wants to put on the pressure, we need to say the same. The enemy is relentless, keeps coming, keeps on. But as Nehemiah did, what we have to do is answer after the same sort. The message of God doesn't change. Let's look at the third tactics, slander and slurs. Look at verses 5 to 9. Look at verse 6 in particular, just to get, uh, we, we'll not read the whole of the verses. But look at what it says. It, well, there's a letter here, if you look at verse 5. He, he said, the, the enemies now draw up a letter wherein was written, look at verse 6, it is reported among the heathen, and Gashmi saith it, that thou and the Jews speak to rebel, for which cause thou buildest the wall, that thou mayest be their king according to these words. Now, initially, the personal messages, the four messages had gone, or five probably, uh, or no, they wrote four times after this. So so it's four messages, and they go personally to Nehemiah. But this time, you'll see that it's an open letter. In other words, everybody can read it. And this has a slur in it. This has a slander in it, that they're seeking to rebel against the king, that They are in the midst of treason here. And this is an open letter, and it's open so that everybody can read it, and then the rumor mill starts. And then they begin, people begin to talk. Oh, you know, these people, these Nehemiah and all these people, you know what they're doing? They're committing treason. They're going to set up a king against the uh, king that's on the uh, throne in Persia. They're going to set up a king was a slander. They weren't doing anything of the sort. But we think of what it says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 20 and 21. If ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently. This is acceptable with God, for even hereunto we are called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps. The world 
very often has slandered God's people. You think about when Peter was writing those words. Christians were being misunderstood. Uh, Sometimes they were called atheists because they didn't believe in the Roman gods. Sometimes they were called superstitious because they believed in miracles. Sometimes they were called incestuous because they married their brothers and sisters. Now, brothers and sisters in Christ, they're Christian brothers and sisters, but they didn't understand that, and they slandered them. They said they're marrying their brothers and sisters. And then sometimes they were accused of being cannibals because they talked of eating flesh and drinking blood, of course, symbolically, in the communion. But again, they didn't understand that. And when the uh, city of Rome was burned, and when the Visigoths attacked the city, the Christians were blamed, and they became, became the uh, butt of every uh, every investigation and everything that went wrong. It was to do with the Christians, and we can s- still see it in our own day. It is becoming more and more evident. This is what Christopher Hitchens the great late atheist, said that people of faith, including Christians, are responsible, listen, for all of the crime, is what he said. It is impossible to claim that religion makes people behave in a more kindly or civilized manner. And this is what he said, the worse the offender the more devout he turns out to be, the chance that a person committing crimes was faith-based was almost 100%. So we're not only stupid and cause wars, but we are doing all the crime. And people of intelligence are telling us that we're all criminals. The police in Lancashire, not that very long ago, went into a cafe where there was a Christian owner who had a television screen on which he uh, put up uh, portions from the New Testament. And they went in and they said, this is offensive. Just parts of the Bible on which we found our morality. But that's offensive. We're being accused of being offensive just by preaching what the Bible and Christianity has always preached. In some schools in Birmingham, some children were encouraged to uh, indulge in anti-Christian chanting. Christians, uh, were, Christmas was banned. Teachers called Christians ignorant and liars. Christian couples seeking to foster or adopt children often often face difficulties, particularly in England, because of the fact that they might bring their children to church. And this is an awful crime, to bring your children to church. We are being slandered, and we are being reproached because of the fact that we stand for the gospel. And we think of how Nehemiah here, he was being slandered. And we think of how they were going to send this letter to the king of Persia. 
in order that the work might be stopped. And that's what they want. They want the work of God to stop. There is slander. But we need to bear it with patience. And the other thing that we need to do is pray. Pray. Nehemiah prayed. Isn't it a wonderful thing that we can pray and can bring these things to the Lord at the throne of grace in prayer? But something else. I want you to see the enemy's subversion. Now he comes with false doctrine. Now there are the false prophets, or the false prophet, singular here anyway. And those who come professing, we are of the true religion, and we know what God has to say. And look at verse 12, and it says, it speaks about a false prophet, Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, who told Nehemiah that he should shut the door of the temple and hide because they were going to kill him. But once again, it's a subtle message. Look now at verse 12. And lo, I perceived that God had not sent him, but that he pronounced this prophecy against me, for Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. And what he wanted, it says there that he was shut up. um, And that means that he was shut shut up in his home. And he was, like, he was doing a sort of a demonstration, a pictorial prophecy. And it was likely that what he, this means is that he was shut up in his home because he was uh, saying to Nehemiah, you shut yourself up in your home. Stop working in the temple. Stop doing God's work. Just shut yourself up in your home and stay there in your own home and don't be doing God's work because they're going to kill you. That's what he was saying. And of course, one of the common tactics of uh, Satan is to lure God's people away by sending false prophets. The Bible says in Matthew 7, verses 15 and 16, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. And even today we have Satan sending us People who profess to be pastors, like the man up on Larn, and those that uh, say we should expect, we should ex- accept all of the woke agenda of this day and generation, and we should be loving and we should be kind. But the Bible says that we earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered to the saints. But they will try and subvert us by false teaching and compromise. Look at verses 17 and 18. Moreover, in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters unto Tobiah, and letters of Tobiah came unto them, for there were many in Judah sworn unto them, because he was a son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Ara, and his son Johanan had taken the daughter of Meshulam, the son of Berechiah. And here was compromise, and it was compromise because some of these men were married uh, to the family of Tobiah and the family of these, uh, these enemies of the gospel. And you know, sometimes our families can be affected and we can be tempted to do things and compromise for the sake of our families. Maybe the family is taken in by this agenda. Maybe the family, you think of the church at Pergamos and the Lord 
condemned it because of its compromise that they had taken on what is called the doctrine of Balaam. And what did Balaam do? Well, he sold himself to the enemies of the children of Israel, and he was going to bring a false prophecy for the sake of money, for the sake of influence. And then it said that they had taken on the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, and probably that was the uh, like the followers of a man by the name of Nicholas, who taught that Christians were allowed to do whatever they wanted. Oh, let's have liberty in the name of liberty. Let's do what we want. False prophets, compromisers. One more thing, and our, our time's gone. I'm, ju- I'm just going to mention this. Shock tactics. Look at verse 13. Therefore was he hired that I should be afraid. And maybe we can use this as a sort of a, a summary of the whole thing. Because that's what the devil and the enemies want to do with God's people today. They want to make us afraid. Afraid to open our mouths. Afraid to say anything in case you might lose your job or because you might uh, be ostracized in public like, like the poor lady in waiting, um, the queen's lady in waiting. All of these things, all those kind of things are in order to cause fear. Fear. The Bible says in 1 Peter 5, and he'd be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. The Lord has not given us the spirit of fear, but he has given us the spirit of uh, power and of love and of a sound mind. It says, therefore, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear. We're not to be fearful. We are to stand our ground. Following God means taking risks. Fear shuts us down. Fear will compromise the brain's ability to live by faith. Fear paralyzes The devil comes to bring fear. But we can say today that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And we can stand, we can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth us. There are many today who would mock us, treat us as stupid, treat us as warmongers, treat us as criminals, They will slander us, slur us, and uh, libel us in all sorts of ways. And it's hard. We may struggle. But we need the attitude of Nehemiah, who said, I will not come down. I cannot come down because I'm doing a good work. May God write his word upon our hearts today for his name's sake. Let's just bow in a wee word of prayer. Our time's away, so we'll just close in a word of prayer. Our loving God and our gracious Father in heaven, we do thank thee for the blessings of the example that we have in the word here. We thank thee for this man who was able to stand in his day and generation despite the slanders 
and the slurs and the pressures that he was under and how they wanted him to fear. Nevertheless, O God, we thank thee that he stood firm. Our God, we need courage and strength to do the same in our day and generation. But Lord, we pray that thou wouldst enable us to be strong and to stand for thee. Bless thy word. Write it upon our hearts. For Jesus' sake, amen.